The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 11th Doctor story, Journey to the Center of the TARDIS. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Hi, uh, howdy. I'm doing very well, Jimmy. Thank you. No, no, no. <laughs> Treat howdy like hello. Okay. And Father Cory Stika. <laughs> How are you? Hello, Dom. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, thanks. <laughs> totally Apparently not. I am, but no. <laughs> I am totally self-conscious about that now, but that's okay. I will get back on my on my horse. Folks, follow the secrets of Doctor Who in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app, or at the SQPN YouTube channel, where you should definitely hit the cloister bell to get notifications. <laughs> Oh, I like that. Yes, I think I'm going to add that now. Uh, I want to tell you all about another show that's on the StarQuest Network that you definitely want to be listening to, which is The Secrets of Star Trek, which includes both Jimmy and Father Corey, and, of course, uh, I will be hosting it. And that's where we do the same thing with Star Trek that we do with Doctor Who, which is talk about everything. So be sure to check that out wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Trek. But today we're talking about Journey to the Center of the TARDIS. Jimmy, could you give us a recap of this episode? This week, Doctor Who does Jules Verne's classic sci-fi novel, Journey to the Center of the Earth, with a side helping of the 1970s TV series Sanford and Son, only played for drama instead of laughs. <laughs> in an attempt to help Clara bond with the TARDIS, the Doctor lets her fly it, creating a vulnerable moment in which the TARDIS is seized and severely damaged by a traveling space salvage ship. The salvage ship is run by three scrap men, one of whom seems to be an android. The TARDIS is critically disabled, and Clara is trapped on board. So, the Doctor forces the three scrap men to help him find Clara before it's too late. As they do this, they and Clara are menaced by hideous time zombies. Eventually, they get Clara back, only to discover that the engine of the TARDIS blew up in the original accident. The TARDIS is trying to hold back the explosion by freezing time around it, but it will eventually fail and they'll all die. Also, the android Scrapman is really the brother of the other two Scrapmen who've been playing a cruel joke on him. And the time zombies that are menacing everyone are really corrupted versions of Clara and the Scrapmen from the future, so everybody's doomed. As they're about to die, the Doctor confronts Clara about the mystery of her existence and demands to know who she is. Now that she believes she, they're all going to die, she has no motive to deceive him, and the Doctor believes her when she says that she has no idea what he's talking about, so he concludes she really isn't a trick or a trap for him. Now, at the beginning of the episode, during the original disaster, Clara asked the Doctor if he had a big friendly button that would solve everything. Then, a small hand grenade device-looking thing crashed onto the floor, and Clara picked it up, causing it to burn some letters into her hand. She hasn't been able to read these because they're upside down, but viewed right side up, they say, Big Friendly Button. 
The doctor then takes the device, reprograms it to reset time, tosses it through a crack in time back to the original disaster, and on the other side of the crack, the other doctor gets the button, uses it, preventing the whole series of events from happening. So, time can be rewritten, and Clara and the Scrapmen forget everything that happened, but they retain subconscious memories of their experiences, and we see the Scrapmen starting to treat their brother better. The end. The end. Uh, I like that Sanford and Sons in space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, dummy! <laughs> yeah, except we only get to see the father, the Fred Sanford equivalent, in a photograph in this one. Yep. This I is know. all sons. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we'll say, you know, this is the, the Van ba- Balen brothers. I prefer the Van Halen brothers, Eddie and Alex. Yeah. I know. They, they don't look very Dutch. <laughs> also, if I'm not mistaken, so I, I I believe, and this could be a misremembering on my part, but I believe that Sanford and Son may be one of those American sitcoms that's based on a British sitcom. Oh. And and it, if I'm remembering correctly, it may be based on Rising Damp. No. Um, so that may be an analog that might have some meaning for some of our British listeners, but I could be completely wrong about all that. Yeah, Sanford and Sons is a '70s era show about a father and son who were junk junkers, junk collectors, junk dealers junk in dealers. Uh, Los yeah. Angeles. Yeah, yeah, coming to Georgia, Elizabeth. <laughs> so I had I was telling Jimmy the other day that uh, I don't have a strong recollection of this episode, or re- frankly, the rest of the season. And I was trying to figure out why I don't. And it turns out this aired in this one aired in April of 2013. I had a four month old. Uh-huh. I don't think I was sleeping very much around that point. And so that's probably why. is not causation, Dom. <laughs> it is not, but it is a strong indication uh, that that's a, that a strong possibility, uh, given my recollection or the lack thereof of those days. So uh, I really enjoyed this, though. Mm-hmm. What I pointed out to you when you mentioned that is that for me, I, I do have strong memories of of uh, of this second half of the season. In fact, stronger memories in some ways than I do of the first half, which dealt with Amy and Rory's departure. And I pointed out that at least up to this episode, and it's going to change a little bit now, but at least up to this episode, I thought the second half of the series with the introduction of Clara was much stronger. Mm-hmm writing wise than the the half season with amy and rory leaving right well i, I think we've come and come to before. i think you commented before jimmy it's you know a lot of times when we think of clara we think of clara as an 11 companion first before we think of a sometimes as mm-hmm. a uh, uh as a peter capaldi yeah. 12 companion yeah. and it's it's and even though she was only with him for half a season plus a couple of specials right you know. it, it's a very strong connection. I mean, they go right out of the gate. They they create this impossible girl thing. I mean, all, the whole arc is a very strong arc uh, in that sense. So I could see that that identification in fans uh, that you know these two, this doctor and this companion. Mm-hmm. So a couple notes about this particular story. Now, here we have a TARDIS in danger, and it's alive sort of as a machine, and it's trying to communicate with people, but not entirely successfully. And that's a trope on Doctor Who that goes all the way back to the second story, The Edge of Destruction, which was a two-parter. It's It was a two-parter, or maybe it's the third story, but it's a two-parter that is set entirely on the TARDIS with the TARDIS spiraling back in time and trying to tell people on board the TARDIS what's wrong and how to fix it. 
but because it's not a human intelligence with a human interface, that's not an easy process. Mm -hmm. Also, this is in New Who, the most extensive look we get at the interior of the TARDIS, and it's more than we've ever seen before with one exception, which is a story in the fourth Doctor's time that we're about to come up on. It's the last regular Leela story, and we've only got a couple of Leela stories left, so we'll hit it in a couple of cycles. But it's called The Invasion of Time, and we get to see a phenomenal amount of trudging through the TARDIS. Mm -hmm. Instead of running through corridors, we get trudging through the TARDIS. (laughs) And they use like an industrial building for part of the interior of the TARDIS, and if I... And some footage that reminds me, I don't know if this is what it was, but it reminds me of like an old, old 1940s hospital mm-hmm. or something that they also trudged through for a while. Interesting. It, pro- it probably was. It probably was like a hospital that was getting ready to be renovated or torn down <laughs> yeah. or something. And they're like, hey, let's use it for filming before you do anything to it. Yes. Yeah, save, save some budget for building sets. Apparently, Stephen Moffat, who is a lifelong Doctor Who fan, as a child, Always wanted to see more of the t- inside of the tardi- TARDIS. Who, and so, who didn't? Who didn't? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Exactly. I was the same way with the Enterprise, with all the ships. I'm, I'm a ship guy. I love, I'm a, you know, I, I geek out about sci-fi ships. So, I, you know, that's, that's kind of fun. I always want to imagine what, what's around the corner and behind that door over there. So it was a lot of fun to see more of the TARDIS, especially when they've referred to it so often, like, mm-hmm. you know, these tantalizing hints. Of course, you got you know you got the pool where it, it looks like an yep. exotic resort, you know, down at the yes. end of the hall. You've got the the library, of course, the massive library that who wouldn't want to get lost in there? Oh, you, the mean. books you can imagine to see in there. So yeah, it's a lot of fun to see, you know, more of the TARDIS and right down to the engine room. In fact, what what I say it was I saw it was more we saw we've seen this is the most we've seen of the TARDIS since Christmas Invasion, the very first Christmas special uh, mm. with the Killer Santas. The Sycorax. I think it was the Sycorax with the uh, with the, the the regeneration of the tenth you know, to the tenth Doctor. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was we saw the wardrobe, the TARDIS wardrobe at that point. Um, so that's a tough thing when you know you got a, a show that the ship is infinite. Basically, you know, it can build itself yeah. up as long as it wants, big, and it's bigger on the inside. And the outside is, yeah, you can do that in imagination, you can do that in script, you can do that in audio, but when it comes to doing it on screen, that costs lots and lots and lots of money to set get right. all these sets and so that's why yeah. we don't see a lot of it that you know most of the time when you see the tardis it is just the console room and that's about it uh, one of the things the doctor does say in this is that the tardis is infinite and that's the first time as far as i'm aware that that claim has ever been made right personally i don't buy it i think the tardis may be infinitely reconfigurable but right. i don't think it's literally infinite on the inside no i I, think- I, I, I agree with you on that that there there is a limit to it um but it's it's in, it, can, in fact, it can be anything it wants to be, basically. Yeah. yeah in, in fact, there have even been stories, like in Peter Davison's time, where to escape the gravity well of the Big Bang, if I recall correctly, or maybe this was the end of the Fourth Doctor's time, they jettison a significant fraction yeah, of was, the TARDIS's interior mass and use it as reaction right. mass to propel it away. The, and that's only possible if... You can only do a fraction if it is a finite amount. Right. Uh, that was uh, the first... Uh, Peter Davison story. Because remember, mm-hmm. they they had the, the whole zero room. Zero room, room or what? Zero yeah. room, yeah. Yeah. The, that's the thing is, I, I think, in fact, it's been said that the, it, it's infinitely configurable. It can make rooms as needed. So effectively infinite, I suppose. But yeah, that the 11th Doctor does not seem to be precise in his 
<laughs> descriptions of things. So we start this with the doctor and doctor wanting Clara and the TARDIS to get along. Because as we, we've seen established in, the, in several episodes so far, the TARDIS doesn't like Clara for some reason, which we'll find out later. And, and she reciprocates as a result. She knows yes. the TARDIS doesn't like her. Right. And so he's doing all these things to try to get them to get along, including he's trying to teach Clara to pilot the TARDIS. But in order to do that, he has to, what is he, he has to simplify the controls and therefore yeah. turn some safeties off, which is put, always put a good in, idea. Put it in basic mode, you know, which, of course, you know, that always going to work out well. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and that ends up making them what are they, they kind of run into this salvage ship. Yeah, the salvage ship is using an illegal technology that's banned in most galaxies because it's too dangerous. It can destroy ships if they don't have the right kind of shielding, and the doctor turned off that shielding to let Clara pilot. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then that's when we see them Ill- uh, illegally grab the TARDIS, which uh, they can only do uh, because the the, the doctor did that and they bring it inside and then we have they bring the tardis they bring the tardis inside the salvage ship thank you for clarifying for me yes and it's this is kind of weird because for some reason somehow the doctor is now outside the tardis sort of under it you know it's Mm -hmm. kind of on top of a pile of junk and they never explain how the doctor is on the outside of the tardis at this point they don't, and pres- I mean, you can headcanon it as maybe the door came open and he was blown out of the door by explosive decompression as they were bringing it in, but they never say that. Yeah, I mean, you just kind of got to go with it. They, there's probably there's perhaps there was a uh, deleted scene or something along those lines, but yeah, they didn't. <laughs> but but Clara is stuck inside, and there's like a fuel leak or some kind of leak that is going to kill her if they don't get inside. And so the doctor convinces him. He offers them the he, to give them the TARDIS as salvage, if only they will help help him save Clara. But it's a trick, <laughs> obviously. Uh, especially once he gets them inside, he says, "Oh, I was lying." And you know, uh, he lies repeatedly to these guys and ruthlessly. First, he tells them that he's going to give them the salvage of a lifetime, and he implies it's the TARDIS. But then he sort of implies it's just the scrap. Like that's been shaken loose from the damage right. in the TARDIS, and then once he gets him inside, he says, "No, no, I was totally lying. I meant Clara is the salvage of a lifetime." And to coerce them at that point, he he kidnaps them. So he's reverting to his first Doctor kidnappy criminal ways, <laughs> and locks the door on them so they can't get out. And then he, to compel their cooperation, he sets a self destruct on the TARDIS console for 60 minutes. And when they object, he reduces it to 30 minutes and says, anyone want to go to 15? <laughs> so he's being very ruthless. He, he definitely had to have been a dad in a previous uh, incarnation because that's a dad move. You, do you want to you try for another night of, of uh, getting grounded? <laughs> that's what it sounds like. <laughs> so, uh, and meanwhile, Clara, like the Doctor got blown outside the TARDIS. Clara got blown down a corridor somewhere. I'm not sure how she ended up down there. But she wakes up from her concussion, uh, but is apparently okay, the TV concussions, and uh, she starts walking around, and that's when we see um, this medieval-looking room, which I think it's the doctor's bedroom, like it has this cot uh, in it or something. Oh, oh, I just thought that was a storage room. It's got his cot, it's got a a bunch of knickknacks, it's like a little wooden model of a of the tardis and oh, things okay. like that well one, okay. one thing it had in there too was the the cradle remember we saw the doctor's cradle 
with right the, the cot some, the cot yeah, oh, they the call co- for for some reason they call those cots in yeah. britain okay i don't i don't understand all the contours of the british word cot apparently so in america a cot is a how do you explain it? It's kind portable of like a, a, fold a, a, a portable <laughs> folding bed sort yeah. of thing. Yep. It's with like it's a wooden frame with a um, piece of fabric stretched over it that you could lie on. But in I've detected at least two other uses in British English. One is for a baby crib, mm-hmm. and the other is as a shortened form of the word cottage. Yeah, I have encountered that in. Um, in Gilbert and Sullivan, in Iolanthe, where Phyllis is singing about the virtues to be found in a lowly cot, meaning cottage. Right. No, what, I, what I thought yeah. when I saw that room, uh, we you know we talked about again that the the fourth doctor's TARDIS, where it look looks like their own old building or whatever, looked like the old workshop. The, the workshop always had kind of like the wooden door and, and things like that. And I, that's what I was thinking it was. Right. The shelves and everything kind of made me think of the old the old work, uh, workshop uh, from the, also- the fourth deck. Yep. Yeah. Uh, she also ends up in a giant library that uh, when she walks in, she says, "Oh no, that's just showing off." Which you know, yeah. Uh, as someone who loves books, I can appreciate. Again, who we would love to get lost in there. At least I would. Yeah. And she reads from a book called History of the Time War, where she learns the Doctor's real name. Yes. And yep. so she's only the second person or third, other than Susan and River Song, who would know the Doctor's real name, as right. far as we're aware. She's going to for apparently forget it in the uh, the reset in the time reset. Although yeah. maybe not because a few episodes down the line at the end of the season, when when they go to Trenzalore for the first time, she remembers stuff from the part that got rewritten, and the Doctor says that should be impossible. Mm-hmm, so maybe right. she remembers more than she's letting on. Also, they have the Encyclopedia Gallifreya there, which is a series of bottles containing. Yeah knowledge in liquid form and i yeah. love that idea exactly yeah she spills one and you see the words kind of floating in the air and, and <laughs> he can hear them, them the... whispered yeah. yeah yeah it's very harry potter i have to say it's kind of a, a very potterish uh i i also like the way they illustrate the way clara thinks through problems in one scene where she has innovative and one of her characteristics is she has innovative takes on things that not everybody might think of like her, in her second appearance, it's smaller on the outside, you know. Um, yeah. We get another example of that in this, where right as she's woken up and she's walking down the corridor, she encounters a closed door with flashing red lights around it. And she says, flashing red light, something's bad. Could mean don't open this door at any costs, which is not what most people would think. They think it's yeah. just an alarm. Yeah. So she pushes the button to open the door, and exploding fire comes her way, and she says, bad decision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, like that. Uh, meanwhile, there's the, as you mentioned, Jimmy, in the recap, there's these time zombies. These, these you know, they look like basically burnt, burnt up people, including ones that it's like two people fused together. We should point out, they're not really that graphic, so don't yeah. think two char-fried people stuck together. They're... Yeah. They're, they've got, like, gray, blobby skin with, like, red eyes and maybe some red peeking through. Right, right. They're, uh, yeah, Saturday afternoon scary, not uh, night at the movies scary, <laughs> put it that way. Uh, yeah, and 
it's interesting because at one point she says to the doctor, you know, oh, oh, no, no, let me do this line. I, okay. I love this is my favorite line of the whole episode. <laughs> All right. After Clara has been menaced by the zombies and the doctor has just pulled her out of that situation. She is on edge and frustrated, and she says, what do you keep in here? Why have you got zombie creatures? Good guys do not have zombie creatures. Rule one, basic storytelling, as she's hitting him. (laughs) (laughs) Now, he seems to know already what they are. He He even turns to them and says, I'm sorry. Right, but he won't tell the others, which is... Sometimes it feels like cheating at storytelling. When the, when I think you've mentioned this before, Jimmy. When a character has knowledge but holds it back from the audience and the other characters mm-hmm. for dramatic effect as opposed to real. Is that this case well, now, do you think? I, I don't mind it so much here because it's a minor element and they, they do pay it off. What I mind is when a character holds back knowledge for no reason, just mm-hmm. to get a plot going, when a okay. normal person would spill the knowledge instantly and say, here's what's going on. Right. That That's used in several Sherlock Holmes stories just so we can have a story. And yeah. A normal person would tell you. But here, the doctor has a reason. He, he's protecting them from knowing this is a future version of you. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That. That. I guess that makes sense. He doesn't want to freak him out that you're going to you're going to die in this horrible way. Uh. So I, I get that. So let's talk about the salvagers. So we've got Bram, Gregor, and Tricky. Tricky is the android brother. Right. And Gregor and Bram have names that are obviously related to vampirism for some reason. Huh. Van and Van Balen is that? That sounds a little bit like um. Van Helsing. Van Helsing. Yeah. So that's weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know why they have this vampire theme running through two of the brothers, and or three if you count the last name. Maybe the zombies are sort of like a one of the versions of vampires that are. With, I don't know. Or it's maybe weird. it's a negative statement about scrap men. <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe the writer uh, who is Stephen Thompson, just, just, just a fan, just a fan, and wanted to do that. Uh, so. They're constantly scheming on how to steal TARDIS tech for themselves. Uh, because the doctor lied to them that they were going to get right. it as a bounty right. and then welched. Yep. Uh, Bra- Gregor sends Bram to the, to the con- back to the console room to, yeah, to strip to str- it. To strip the console. And I have in my notes in boldface, strip the console apart, the one with the self-destruct running. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Because I, I don't yeah. think I would be stripping a console that has a self-destruct running on it. I might disconnect the wrong thing right. and set it off early. Right. Well, I, I love, though, as, as he's stripping it, you hear all these voices in the background, little whispers, and it's well, you get Susan saying, I made up the name TARDIS from the initials, time, relative, dimension, space. You Dr. Third about TARDIS being tra- dimensionally transcendental. Dr. Jo- Four. Jo- Joe Grant says, what does that mean? And yeah, we and, don't get our and, answer. And yeah. Ian, Ian, it can move anywhere in time and space. And the, the, doc, the ninth doctor, assembled horns of Genghis Khan couldn't get through that door. Believe me, they've tried. So you hear so some here, of these, and then other little whispers kind of in the back. Yeah. Here are the other ones. They have the 11th doctor from the doctor's wife saying, you sexy thing. And then her Idris, the TARDIS in human form, replying, see, you do call me that. It's my name. Uh, and then the fourth Doctor, that's transdimensional engineering, a key Time Lord discovery. Uh, the ninth Doctor, with the assembled towards of Genghis Khan. Uh, Martha Jones, it's just a box with that room crammed in. Uh, Amy Pond saying, we're in space. Uh, you have the Ian, a thing that looks like a police box, standing in a junkyard. You can move anywhere in time and space. 
and the Fifth Doctor from Time, Time Crash. Crash. Yeah. Yes. You've changed the desktop theme, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting, all of these quotes revolve around the TARDIS and what it's yep. capable of. And this is apparently the time leaks mm-hmm. becoming apparent, the time leaking through. Correct. Yeah, so, this is sort of a two-stage reveal. We have, because of the injury done to the TARDIS, the doctor explains to Clara the past is leaking into the present and don't touch it. Um, when you see that happening. And then he eventually reveals the future is also leaking into the present, which explains the time zombies. Right. right. Uh, so while Bram is stripping the console room, Gregor and, and Tricky and the Doctor all end up in this room with this sort of Avatar glowing tree. Like from the movie yeah, Avatar. It's, it, yep. it's awesome. I have it described as giant glowy white grape space replicator. <laughs> yes. It's the architectural reconfiguration system. Except so, they also say that it can make the device that Gregor is holding that leads him to it says it can make any machine you want. Right. Right. And I'm going, really? Any machine you ever want? Why now, has the doctor never, ever used this to solve a plot problem before? <laughs> <laughs> because it's a plot destroyer, because it takes all the drama out of everything if you can replicate anything. Yeah. And it, it's also it's the explanation of how the TARDIS can build and destroy its own rooms, basically. Right, right. Yeah, and that's fine. You could have a limited replicator. It can do architectural reconfiguration, but it can't build you a magic plot gizmo. <laughs> right. Uh, so <laughs> what's interesting is, is when Gregor tries to take the part of the thing, part of the tree, uh, the TARDIS reconfigures the room, takes away the door to try to prevent them from from stealing it. Uh, and but all that all that he has to do is like okay I'll get out my welding torch I'm going to cut a door open and the TARDIS kind of gives in but then starts leading them through a, a a labyrinth of reconfiguring the quarters and it starts shrinking it so they start going around in circles so I like how the TARDIS gets to be a character in this mm-hmm. even though it never gives us a, a human like interface either the video one we've seen occasionally or something like Idris. The doctor at one point compares the TARDIS to to a wounded animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when they're trying to get to the engine room, which is at the center of the TARDIS, so <laughs> there's our title. Yep. Yep. The doctor and Clara are put in an illusory environment that looks like a cliff, so they're afraid to go further. They don't want to step off the cliff. And the doctor explains that this is a snarl, that it's yep. like, this is the TARDIS, like a wounded animal, snarling at them to keep it keep them away from its vulnerable point. Oh, right. okay. So, uh, yeah, I was thinking it was like uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple, uh, the Last Crusade. You know, only a leaf from the lion's head. You have to step out in faith over mm-hmm. the cliff and, yeah. and believe that sort of thing. So that was it. Was kind of like that when when they were in the uh, the the corridors where the TARDIS was taking around circles. I wanted to hear you're in a maze of twisty corridors, all alike. <laughs> and if yes. you're familiar with the Zork games, that's, yes. that's oh. a very familiar phrase. Yes, the old Zork text just... games. That was there's a point you'd hit where you were in a, cor- a maze of corridors and you had to do the right pattern to get out, otherwise you're stuck yeah. and died. Left, left, right, left. Um, so Bram at one point, uh, as he's he kind of falls out of the console room uh, and is attacked by one of the time zombie creatures, and. It dies, apparently. And Gregor doesn't really care. His I, I brother. We're, he's, like, never mentioned again. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't catch it if he is. They never yeah. talk about the fact, oh, we used to have this third brother, and he's not around anymore. I wonder what <laughs> happened to him. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's fine in the end because they rewrite time. But Yeah. 
but he just sort of drops out of the script at a certain point. I mean, literally, he falls out of the script. Given how cruel the brother's joke is on Tricky, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised that he would be completely uncaring about his brother, Bram. I mean, that that is about the cruelest of all jokes that they play. So we should explain that. Apparently, these three brothers had a father who was originally in charge of the salvage business, and then he died, and Tricky was the smart one, perhaps resulting in his nickname, Tricky. And the father named Tricky, even though he's the youngest of the brothers, apparently, he named him Captain, because he was the smart one who could keep the business afloat. And the other two brothers resented that, and so when Tricky was then in an accident that gave him amnesia, they and needed repair work. They he was given two bionic eyes and a and an artificial voice box that makes his voice synthesizer soundy a little bit. And they actually use the term bionic mm-hmm. on here, which is a callback to the six million dollar man TV show from the nineteen seventies and yep. the bionic woman. But they uh when he got these artificial parts for fun they decided, and with his amnesia, they decided to tell him he was an android. So they've been having this private joke at his expense where they treat him like an android. They treat him like he's their servant and is obligated to do things for them, and they say denigrating things to him about the fact that he's an android and stuff like that. It has interesting echoes, biblical echoes of the sons of Israel and Joseph, you know, the Mm -hmm. the older brothers. Mm In the favored youngest brother, and in that case, they they, they left him to die to be eaten by a, a lion. Yeah. Or, but then no, they sold him into slavery. Yeah, yep, yeah. The uh, yeah, uh, all, and then in terms of how the this is revealed, now the doctor has been picking up on it all along that Tricky is not an android. Yeah, for one thing, he needs a he needs like a breather unit and shielding in order to face the harsh environmental conditions in the TARDIS when they first go into it. And it's like, what does an android need with a breather unit and shielding? And yeah. they and Bram says, well, he's got a skin coating. He's you know like in the Terminator movie. Right. He's, mm-hmm. he's he's just like us in that regard. But the Doctor clearly doesn't believe it, and eventually. Apparently, the TARDIS has more than one energy source because it's got the Eye of Harmony, which we get to see. And Mm -hmm. here it's depicted as a supernova in the act of collapsing into a black hole. And it's trapped in that moment of Mm -hmm. of explosion and collapse and is being used as an energy source. And that's obviously the prime energy source on the TARDIS. But apparently, and... I'm I'm being kind about this. <laughs> Apparently, they have a secondary energy source on the TARDIS that's a nuclear reactor of some kind, because the doctor says we're under the fuel tank and the the some kind of fluid in it has leaked out, which will expose the the fuel rods, and that will cause the rods to heat up and possibly expand, and that's what starts happening. We start having fuel rods suddenly expanding and poking through the walls of the corridor and they have to run from them mm-hmm. lest they get speared by one of these fuel rods and tricky gets speared and thinking he's an android he tells gregor who has like a power saw cut off my arm i'll just get a new one 
and Gregor can't bring himself to cut off his brother's arm. And that, and the doctor, you know, finally says, okay, tell him why you can't cut him. And the doctor explains what they've been doing, and, and Gregor says, well, it was just for fun and stuff like that. And that's how Tricky learns the truth, that he's really a human being. And there's a nice moment where after he's freed from the wall, they end up cutting the uh, fuel rod instead. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And after Tricky is freed and knows the truth, he's starting to turn on his brother because he's understandably really angry. Yeah. And the doctor shuts him down and says, stop it. Your brother has one little scrap of decency in him. He couldn't harm you. And and he, you've helped him find that. Don't let him forget it. And so right. the doctor affects this kind of rough reconciliation between the two of them. And I really liked that. Which apparently uh, stays with uh, Gregor past the time reset, because at the end of the episode, we see him kind of decide, no, we've got to, you know, he says to Bram, who's now restored, no, we need to stop doing this to him, or or something along those lines. Yeah, Yeah. we see them starting to treat him not like an android, even though he doesn't yet know the truth. Right. Right. You know, I wonder if this this secondary fuel source is uh, Moffat's way of trying to explain how the TARDIS needed to be refueled in Cardiff on the Rift. Because, of course, if it's got the Eye of Harmony, that doesn't need to be refueled. That's kind of the whole mm-hmm. point of it, is a right. perpetual energy source. So I wonder if this is, was Moffat's or the writer's way of saying, okay, we got to have something that the TARDIS needs to be refueled once in a while. I guess this must be it. I, Impulse, I, think, this, yeah. I, I think this was the writer's attempt to have a scene of running down a corridor in a dramatic fashion away from something, and also <laughs> that would reveal Tricky's true status. This is, yeah. this is the, uh, this is the galaxy, galaxy Quest crushing Piston's room. <laughs> totally thought of the Galaxy Quest scene when, when yeah. this happened, yeah. Who's, who designed these things? <laughs> yeah. Now, you, you, you could have a secondary power system on a ship that like yeah. runs secondary systems or maybe sure. helps things in the startup routine or stuff like that. But this is a little surprising. If you've got a supernova g- collapsing into a black right. hole, giving you massive quantities of energy, of energy, a nuclear reactor is a bit of a letdown. Yeah, it's a a piece shooter compared. I mean, yeah, it's it's one thing when you got an airplane that's got an auxiliary power unit in the tail so that you can start the the main engines. It's another thing when you've got a super ship that's got all the power. I had to laugh when I was watching the scene where they're cutting the the fuel rod off of Tricky's arm. Uh, We just recently on Secrets of Stargate talked about Message in a Bottle where uh, Colonel Jack O'Neill gets speared by this this alien craft, alien uh, messenger bottle. And uh, they had a little less luck in Stargate. It basically pushed the, where he cut back into his shoulder. So, oh, uh, which a little was better luck. In, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's oh, a man. rough scene. That uh, was rough. A little bit, little better luck in this one actually cutting the. And in that rod. one, he's, if I recall correctly, Colonel O'Neill is like pinned up on the wall. Yeah, yeah, he's suspended. Yep. He's up about ten feet in the air. Oh, so you can yeah, hear about that's... that in Secrets of Stargate. Should be pretty go. close to about the same time this one comes out. That'll come out. So. Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, actually, no. This that that has come out uh, uh, several months. Oh, ago. that's right. I forgot. We're, we're recording this right before uh, season, the new seasons th- comes out. Season so. thirteen. Yeah, uh, <laughs> forgot. So, um, uh, I I want to go back to that scene where the Doctor confronts Clara because it's a th- this is a key moment in the whole Clara arc because like he he comes at her like who are you? Now's the time to tell me. Reveal who you are. And it's it's interesting, like, she kind of recoils. I have no idea what you're talking about. 
Mm-hmm. And it's she this, actually she says to him, "I'm more afraid of you than anything else on the TARDIS in this moment." Right, right, and and, and it's um, it's kind of fascinating that that I don't know. I just felt like it was really well acted. I really liked the the way it was written and acted in the scene. He's also got her backed up to the edge of the cliff, so all he has to right. do is push her, and she's dead. Right, as far uh, as she's aware. As far right. as she's aware, right. So, uh, yeah, and then we have this whole reset. We talked about that. The uh, the writing that's burned into Clara's hand that's been slowly becoming more apparent. I'm not sure why. Um, mm. sort of, but anyway, and it it tells him about the you know the push the big uh, friendly button, um, and the doctor kind of shoves himself into the time gap to send the message back in time, um, and then everything resets. But does the doctor remember yes. everything? Yes. Because as a time lord, he he is not affected by the time reset. He has a free pass in this case to remember mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's that was my my one question that I, I wasn't quite sure. Um, although, although we as mentioned, it's it's clear that elements have leaked through in everybody else's memory. And of course, Clara, we find out late, like you said, find out later that yes, she does remember more than she really should. Yeah. Yeah. Which is probably related to her being the impossible girl who goes through all times for the doctor than mm-hmm. anything else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Except this is the prime Clara that starts all the others. All the others are branches off of this one. Yep. So she shouldn't have unusual properties as she hasn't branched yet. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Father Corey, any other thoughts on this episode? Uh, one thing I got a kick out of, the TARDIS has rocks when things explode, just like Starfleet vessels. <laughs> uh, there's kind of a running gag in a uh, Star Trek fandom that every time a console explodes on a Starfleet vessel, the rocks inside that console get thrown out. <laughs> and you, if you watch Star Trek, there, there's always you know stuff exploding, and they look like little rocks that were like rubble. <laughs> rubble, yeah. Well, the TARDIS has those too. So when the TARDIS starts exploding, you see rocks scattered all over the the, the TARDIS decking. The pyro guys are like shoving everything into the uh, the pyro canister where they want. To yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy, how about you? So there's an interesting uh, sequence where the TARDIS, as part of its shrinking mazes situation, it starts creating copies or echoes, as they call them, of the console room, Mm -hmm. which are apparently located. And we see Clara, like, she's trying to get away from the console room at one point, but she keeps running into it. And the doctor and um, Gregor, or is Tricky, actually get into one of these, and the doctor is explaining that it's the safest room on the ship, really. Um, and so the TARDIS <laughs> is creating echoes of it to keep it, to try to protect them, to keep them safe. And Clara is in one of these echoes, and the doctor and Tricky are in another. Clara is being menaced by a time zombie, which is apparently her. And the doctor explains that they're out of sync. He compares it to a lamp that's flickering in between two positions, on and off, on and off, on and off, infinitely fast. And so, okay, in philosophy, that's a thing. Mm. Mm. That's known as Thompson's lamp. And Thompson's lamp is a lamp that flickers on and off an infinite amount. It starts in any position you want, either on or off. But then it flickers an infinite number of times in a finite amount of temporal distance, let's say an hour. And the question is, at the end of that hour, is it on or off? And so this Mm. is a well-known paradox in uh, philosophy. The answer is 
that the answer is undefined because if you assign on and off to um, odd or even states mm -hmm. in numbers, there is no last number on a transfinite sequence. It's there is no last number in the set of real numbers, and so it's the the last number could be even or odd, which would tell you the answer, but there is no last number in the set of mm -hmm. natural numbers. So that's a nonsensical thing, and thus the lamp is neither on nor off. But I have in my notes, Clara gets caught in Thompson's lamp, and, <laughs> and then the doctor uses the sonic screwdriver to find what vibration she's at and yank her away from the time zombie, at which point she gets to deliver the really great line. <laughs> yes. All right. While so, punching him. And then he afterwards is saying, I don't need punching anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good, good. All right. I think I think that does it for that discussion. So uh, mm -hmm. let's uh, wrap things up. First, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Father Joseph S., Becca D., Petru, Robert C., and Alan P. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest, you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who's going to edit this show for us. That's it from us. What did you think of Journey to the Center of the TARDIS? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the sixth Doctor story, Terror of the Vervoids. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, don't ever get into a spaceship with a madman. <laughs>